1: Welcome to The Common Good. My
2: name is Brian Fromm, and I am the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Usually joined by Ian Simpkins. Our co-host is missing again today, but for a good reason. He's not snowed in or anything. Ian instead is spending some time at home with his wife, Katie, as they welcomed their second child this week. So uh, we are excited for Ian to get back here to be all sleep deprived, saying crazy things. Uh, I'm sure he's going to have some stories, but... Uh, We're excited for the Simpkins family, but while Ian is out, I'm uh, flying this ship alone today, so we are excited. Hopefully you are all shoveled out, you're ready for the cold this week, and we're excited that you're spending some of your Monday with us. Well, over the first couple weeks of this show, we have spent a couple different times. We've had the pleasure of talking to Julie Royce. Uh, Julie, uh, as a reminder, is a speaker and writer whose articles have appeared in Christianity Today, Religion News Service, The Christian Post, The Federalist world magazine she's also the author of redeeming the feminine soul um you can follow julia twitter at reach julie Royce, that's r-o-y-s and today we have the pleasure that Julia is uh, in studio with us today so uh julie it's great to put a name and a voice with a face and uh thank you for joining us today
3: well likewise it's an awful lot of fun to be here and to see you in person and um and be right here at wyll Studios. so glad to be with you
2: so uh If you have at all following what's going on with Harvest Bible Chapel over the last couple weeks, um, whether it's when Julie's been on with us or on Twitter or on many different shows, you know that Julie has done a lot of extensive work um, and really, uh, if I might add a little uh, editorial, wonderfully important work in kind of unearthing a lot of the unhealthiness that's going on, specifically with Pastor James McDonald and the whole kind of Harvest Church Uh, what's going on out here and every time julie we were joking before that we have you on we say well we'll have you on again if something else happens but this is probably the (laughs) end of it Uh, and then there's more and then there's more so by way of uh we kind of live in this but a lot Mm -hmm. of people out there they don't know the story so as best you can uh if you could kind of give us the backstory what's been going on what is it that we're talking about
3: okay well uh i'll try to give the cliff notes as quickly as possible (laughs) um but you know back in october Uh, Harvest Bible Chapel and James McDonald actually filed a lawsuit against me and four Mm -hmm. other defendants. Uh, This is before I had published anything. Um, And then I published an expose in World Magazine in December pointing out uh, spiritual abuse, some bullying uh, accusations Mm -hmm. uh, against McDonald and the church, also financial impropriety. Um, And that seemed to create quite a bit of of stir Um, after that. Then we saw uh, walk in the word. James McDonald's broadcast ministry pulled all of its programs off of about two thousand radio and television outlets. Mm. Uh, then the church announced that Pastor James McDonald will go on an indefinite sabbatical, and that they were going to enter into a peacemaking process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this indefinite sabbatical—it was just indefinite sabbatical of preaching and leadership in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Well, Harvest Bible Chapel has seven campuses here in Chicago. It just has a newly acquired eighth campus in Naples, Florida. Well, the pastor of that Naples uh, campus was not too pleased when he heard that James McDonald was going to be preaching in his stead down there in Naples while he's on this sabbatical. Felt like if he's not fit to preach in Chicago, why would he be fit to preach in Naples? And so he objected, And uh, sent a letter to his congregation saying that he had asked the elders, actually, to give them their autonomy back and return this congregation to uh, their own self-governance. Well, that got him fired. Mm. And so that's where we're at right now, kind of a mess and a very messy situation. And and I think a lot of people thinking, myself included, what was with that peacemaking process? You know, there's been no owning of wrong, no... um, no public apologies. James McDonald is still there. There's no resignation. And now we have a, a pastor fired in Naples. So yeah. kind yeah. of a mess.
2: I'm trying to do off the top of my head. His pastor, his name is John Seacrest, right? Correct. Uh, not to be confused with Ryan yes, Seacrest. Okay, a lot of people yes. have been doing that. It's Ryan, Se- no, <laughs> Ryan No, he's Seacrest. not a pastor. <laughs> um, John Seacrest, uh, curious. You've probably had some conversations with him. Uh, is he still without a job? How is he doing? What's kind of the collateral damage there?
3: Oh, you know, he's hurting. Yeah. He and his wife are, are really hurting. And uh, there's actually an article coming out in World Magazine um, that talks about some of that. I've okay. reported on it. Uh, I'll be reporting more on my blog about how he's doing, but also what the developments are. There's, I, I'm, I'm hearing conflicting reports about what's going on. Mm. There's no official word from the church on What's going to happen there? So, kind of waiting, taking a wait and see attitude. But, but yeah, he and his wife are having a very difficult time. I do know that there was some talk about, hey, are they just going to go back to? They were meeting at the YMCA, okay? Uh, Because this is a relatively recent church plant. Yes, they had been meeting at the YMCA, and then they got this building, um, really given to them, I I think, for like ten dollars a year was the lease agreement. Mm. Um, So they've been meeting in this really beautiful building. But some are saying, hey, why don't you just go back to the YMCA and meet? Mm-hmm. And uh, when I talked to him, he's he was like, no, uh, not doing that right now. You wow. know, I mean, he's he, he was just kind of like, this just happened. I'm not moving into anything quickly. And I just think they really need our prayers. Absolutely. It's a very difficult time for them.
2: And, and for th- the church. Absolutely. And to put a, a bow on the whole, informa- like catching us up, anyone who's in local who gets the newspaper has seen like there was a you know oh, yeah. front page of the Daily Herald, and it was... Uh, you know, you've come to read it and you understand why, but it was almost crazy to read like wait, this is Mankow, the guy who's been the radio host for the years <laughs> here in Chicago, kind of a shock jock. Yep. Writing an article, kind of trying to be a voice of reason within the like can you catch us up on that part as well? Yeah, that
3: was a big news. That was on Friday. Uh the article came out in the Daily Herald, front page news, yes. and it's Mankow Mueller basically calling out James McDonald and saying come on this is not right there's no elder accountability we know that you run the church you need to own up to it you need to say the truth you need to come back to chicago you're hiding out in naples let's go come back be a man do this yeah. and uh, and really using a lot of scripture and and coming out about his, his own stand and where he stands with christ and i think for a lot of people they're like what nice. you know they don't they didn't realize this you know they they think of him as a shock jock right nope. But I actually uh, recorded a, a podcast with him this morning. So that's going to be released later this week. I also I took a soundbite from that. It's going to be in a special that we're, we're yeah. airing here on WYLL. Um, but this is a man who had a close relationship with Pastor McDonald, mm-hmm. um, was actually just baptized a few weeks ago, rebaptized by him, really saw a spiritual renewal in his own life. And this has been just absolutely devastating yeah. to him that the man that he thought James McDonald was is not the man that he believes him to be today.
2: It's just so many twists and turns to this story. Uh, this might be an impossible question, but where do you think it's going next? <laughs> or are you just um, going to wait and see and be there to report I, it? <laughs> I, I
3: I do not make those kind of predictions. Good. I really I really don't. Um, like a true but reporter, I am, I am <laughs> praying. I am praying, Brian, really praying that there would be repentance where there needs to be repentance so that the healing can begin. Healing Absolutely. cannot begin when we bury our sin. Healing begins when we confess it before our God, when we own it, and, and we just say, Lord Jesus,
2: help. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, we're, we're being joined by Julie Royce. Uh, Julie mentioned that there is a special coming up on WYLL. It is called Church in Crisis. It is airing this Wednesday from 6 to 7 p.m., not just about the harvest stuff, but about kind of the state of the evangelical church uh, in our country. Julie has done a fabulous job. I'm looking forward to listening to that. So that's this Wednesday from 6 to 7. Uh, coming up next, Julie and I are going to continue this conversation. and We're going to get away from the details and try to dive in about what's going on within the church uh, and what's the light at the end of the tunnel. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm normally joined with Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out uh, enjoying uh, being a new dad again, having a second child. So we're excited for the Simpkins family. Uh, as a reminder, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. And we are grateful to be joined again by Julie Royce. Uh, we spent the last uh, couple minutes talking about all that's been going on at Harvest Bible Chapel um, a reminder, you can follow Julie on Twitter at Twitter.com at ReachJulieRoyce. That's reach Julie Royce. Uh She also mentioned her podcast that is called Seeking Truth. Did I get that right? Seeking Truth? Seeking Truth. Seeking yep. Truth. So you can get that wherever you find your podcast. And while you're subscribing to hers, subscribe to The Common Good as well. Do them both while you're there and leave a review. As Julie mentioned earlier, she's going to be uh, probably tomorrow, she's going to have the podcast up where she interviews man cow. Uh, about all of this Harvest stuff, so I'm very excited to listen to that. Well, Julie, before the break, we talked all about the the, um, the facts and what's going on in this uh, ever-evolving story that you've been covering and kind of at the forefront of at Harvest Bible Chapel and with James McDonald. Uh, I want to kind of spin it just a little bit to kind of get into your mind a little bit. Uh, as I've been reading and just kind of digesting all the work you're doing are are you ready for this story to be over, or are you kind of energized by making sure the truth comes out and hopefully seeing change? Where are you at right now? Yes, <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> yes, and yes. Well put. <laughs> um, it
3: really depends what mood you catch me in and yeah. what, what you know how things are going at the specific moment. I mean, over the weekend um, there was actually some cyberbullying going on, oh. fake accounts being put out there my license plate w. being, you know, out which I'm like, wow, somebody went to my house and so, that's that's creepy. Um the stuff that I again, I'm reporting on the church.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Brian, that, that's that's appalling yes. that something like like that would happen. Um but it does happen. And yeah. and and so I I mean, am I rocked by it? No, but it it's disappointing and and do I like um do I like telling bad stories about... Right. Yeah, no. no. I mean, nobody likes that. At the same time, you know, there's a part of me that's a reporter. I know I was talking to a buddy of mine who's an investigative reporter at the Chicago Tribune and I was telling him about this this hate mail I got and he laughed and he was like, you know, people just don't know that Like, we, we take that as a badge of honor. Like, when <laughs> <laughs> when, when it means you have a something
2: mail. to say, right? <laughs> well, you
3: know, I had an editor once who said, uh, Julie, if you're not getting any hate mail, then you're probably just not saying anything. Mm. So, you know, I, I know that in this position... Um, it 's going to come with a certain amount of that, and right. it, of course, I love getting positive mail, just like everybody else um, and I love getting positive feedback, but that doesn 't always happen. Um, I think at this point, quite frankly brian it 's more of a sense and, and this has been really my feeling from the beginning because this wasn 't really something I was envisioning for this year for me okay um, it was trying to be a good steward of what god 's given me, yeah. you know trying to figure out what has God called me to do. When I first got those calls from people wanting me to report on this and having a story, um, yeah, there was just a big part of me that was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I think I've just been drafted for this. And God, okay, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. Yeah. Um. But but I'm, I have no illusions about what's involved yeah. with this and what the stakes are. So, I mean, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And, you know, whether I want to do it or not, you, you know, Brian... Do you want to pastor a church exactly. some you know? Right? Not on not on Monday. Yeah, not on Monday, you know. <laughs> do you want to do a radio show? Good, Probably not when we get snowstorms like we did today. Right. Um so it yeah, it's one of those things you, you do it, what God's called you to do. Yeah. And um And the
2: stakes got raised when you got sued. I mean that's <laughs> that that changed the game, but um,
3: uh, well the stakes were high from the beginning. Yes. If you're gonna go up against someone with the power and the influence of a James McDonald, yeah. You know what those stakes are. And it's it's a small evangelical world and you know. Yes. Um if if you get blacklisted because of someone like him, that can be the end of your career. And so
2: it's tough. So last week on the show, we talked, uh, I think it was when Kelly Brady was in here, we were talking about uh, an article that, that was linking narcissism to pastors. And as you dig into the evangelical subculture uh, and the church culture, especially the mega church culture, I would guess that that you're you're probably even surprised the level of narcissism you see in the church. Is that true?
3: I, you know, I started reading more about it. Yeah. This isn't something. Um, I mean, narcissism as just what narcissism is. I mean, everybody has an element of narcissism, sure. right? You know, I <laughs> mean, you know, all of yep. us can be a little too into uh, ourselves. I have a radio yeah. show, so <laughs> right there you go. Um, if if you struggle with ego on any level or yourself being too much in the way, which who of us, if we're honest, you know, doesn't struggle with pride and some mm-hmm. of these things? But the level of narcissism, when it really gets to be sort of a pathological condition. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading a book right now because a friend of mine who's a pastor said, Julie, you have to read this book. Wow! And it's called The Pandora Problem, I think it is. And I'm reading this thing, and he's citing study after study, showing that pastors, and I hate to say this, Brian, <laughs> but pastors happen to be like, I forget, it was like 500 times more than the the, the, the general population they find our narcissist. Wow. And I, and and so the 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 writer of this book is saying, well there must be an element to which we foster it, we nurture it and we hire it. Yeah. And so I think as we're looking at this I mean there's so many there's so many parts of this problem that we can look at, but that's one that quite frankly um, I've just begun to scratch the surface of and it's one that I think um I'd like to explore a lot more because obviously it's a big issue.
2: It's so scary, too, because obviously, biblically, pastors are called to be shepherds. We're uh, to be caring for the flock and laying our lives down. And it's reading these articles or hearing these stories is just it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. as a pastor. But also, it causes you to hold the mirror up and go, I better make sure I'm looking at my own soul. <laughs> right, right.
3: And I think part of it is the bigger, better. Yes. you know american thing yes. i mean how many pastors when they go through seminary i don't know but how many of them say i want to be that pastor of that that church right. of 50 you yeah. know out in the the boondocks of faithful people and and we don't often yeah. and yet some of those churches can be the most sweet beautiful god honoring um kind of experiences no and doubt. and we just do you know, I, I do think a lot of this is our whole American dream kind of mentality yeah. that seeped into the church. And, and the celebrity culture. It's and all so that bad. Stuff. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I threw this line at you before when we were off the air. Uh, let me throw it at you again. Um, again, we were discussing this last week, the concept of the church as the hope of the world versus Jesus as the hope of the world. And I know that's a little semantical. Um, but I think there's something important there. Do you resonate with that, the difference mm. between church as the hope of the world and Jesus as the hope of the world? So
3: much resonate yeah. with that. Yeah, I really do. And I, and I think, um, and, and this is part of the problem. We think the church is the hope of the world, so we have to preserve the church. Yes. And if there's something wrong in the church, oh, my goodness, we, we have to cover it up quick because people might think there's something wrong instead of saying, no, we're broken people, we're sinful people. The church is a is a beautiful institution. Mm-hmm. It's God's institution. It will last forever. But it's made up of sinful people. Yes. You know, but I think that's part of the problem when we see leaders in the church that have problems and that really have sin issues. We don't want to call it out or we're afraid of really confronting it or or even removing that person mm-hmm. because we're like, oh, my goodness, look at the fruit they're bearing. Look, yes. we're growing. We're getting bigger. And, and he's so dynamic. And, uh, you know, yeah, we've forgotten it's about Jesus, yes. not about us.
2: Yes. And that there's some. Uh, again, I brought up Kelly Brady before, a kind of mentor of mine. He told me once there's so many unhealthy ways to grow a church <laughs> mm. and that it becomes really easy, anger being one of them or other the manipulation or whatever, and just the pointing to Jesus. Like, even if our churches don't grow, may we get to the end and be like, you know, I to preach the gospel. Mm. Uh, and I and I shepherded my people. So, Julie, I'm so thankful. I'm, I I no longer say, hey, maybe we won't have you on to talk about this anymore because it feels <laughs> like it keeps evolving Uh, But as somebody who's been watching, uh, I'm very thankful for the work you're doing and uh, the things you said don't bother you. I heard them and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that would terrify me. So, (laughs) uh, Thankful for the work you're doing. Let me remind you all uh, that Julie has put together a special called Church in Crisis, kind of a look at the uh, evangelical church in America. It is going to air on this station on Wednesday following our show from 6 to 7 p.m. on Wednesday on this station. And you can also look it up because there's other stations across the country. Where it will be found. And also a reminder Julie has the Seeking Truth podcast, uh, as well as you can follow her on Twitter at Reach Julie Royce. That's Roys. That's R O Y S, Reach Julie Roys on Twitter. Julie, thank you again. Uh, it's great having you here. Thank you, Brian. Uh, yep. You're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church, Uh, usually joined by Ian Simpkins. But Ian is enjoying at least one more day of being home with his new baby and his wife. And so we are excited for Ian, excited to have him back, but excited for him to get the rest. Although I'm not sure how much rest he's getting, probably shoveling out his driveway and all of that other stuff. So we're really excited to be joined right now by Jamie Ayton. Uh, Jamie is the executive director uh, of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute and the Blanchard Chair of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership uh, at Wheaton College, my alma mater. Uh, So, Jamie, thank you for joining us today.
4: Thanks for having me, Brian.
2: Yeah. Uh, Jamie just wrote a book that is fascinating about his journey and his story uh, and so, Jamie, I was going through that and just fascinated by it. And I'm wondering, as we get started here, just how did you get started in kind of this very specific area of work in disaster work?
4: Well, you know, this wasn't something I set out to do with my profession or my mm-hmm. calling, but I had moved to South Mississippi just six days before Katrina hit. So literally moved in. Next thing I know, one of the worst natural disasters of all time wow. struck our community and got involved uh, within weeks after the storm.
2: And were you personally affected by that storm, like literally where you were living?
4: Yeah, so Hurricane Katrina came right over through our community. And our family, we were very fortunate. We had roof damage and trees down and debris everywhere. But we had neighbors that lost absolutely everything, where it just looked like pine trees, looked like uh, torpedoes that had gone through homes and other homes.
2: All that was left was a slab. Wow. Uh, And so... Going through that, what then made that, you know, you've got you've got kind of your personal life and your academic and your work life, and you kind of said, I want to take my academic and my professional life and give it to this. Uh, talk about that bridge, how Katrina kind of spurred on what you then wanted to do uh, with your profession.
4: Well, when I went down to South Mississippi, I originally went there because I thought I was going to focus on working with the church around rural mental health disparities. Oh, wow. So I've always had a heart for wanting to empower the church to be able to serve others in need. And when Katrina hit, I was overwhelmed by the positive experience that I saw of how impactful churches played uh, responding, that they were the very first to respond. And then even as other groups left, it was still the local church that helped uh, oversee the recovery
2: process. Oh, that's fascinating. We're talking to Jamie Ayton. Uh Jamie has a new book out called A Walking Disaster. Uh, you can get that anywhere you get books, Amazon or anywhere uh, you can get your books. I would highly recommend picking up this book. It's a fascinating read because, Jamie, uh, you've told us how Katrina kind of spurred you on to kind of shifting your life into dealing with disasters uh, and humanitarian issues. Uh, but then you uh, were blindsided by a much more personal disaster. Could you talk to us about that?
4: Sure. You know, after Katrina, I went on to study and help churches all through the southeast after a number of disasters, and started working internationally, even in civil conflicts, like in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and then came to Wheaton College to start the Institute here. And after just a few years having studied disasters all over the globe, suddenly I was having this own my own personal disaster. That at the age of 35, I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer.
2: Oh my goodness. Uh-
4: yeah, so when my doctor had initially shared that information with me, you know, you can imagine I was getting upset and having a hard time focusing on what he was saying, and he kind of paused and tried to you know, bring me back into the conversation and asked what I do for a living, and I mentioned to him that I'm a disaster psychologist, and I direct this disaster research center, and he pauses, and he says, you know, you're in for your own personal disaster.
2: Oh, my goodness. And, and how is your health now?
4: I'm very grateful to be able to share that it's been four and a half years of no evidence of disease.
2: Oh, wow. Well, well then, praise God. That is, that's great news. Um, so, what did battling cancer then uh, teach you uh, about your faith, about resilience, and about this whole you know, where your academic uh, pursuits were going? What did your personal disaster uh, teach you personally?
4: Well, you know, it really kind of uh, turned my ideas and understanding about resilience upside down that many of the things that I thought I understood from a scientific perspective, I learned in a much different way after Katrina, excuse me, after my cancer experience. You know, so one example would be about uh, the act of spiritual surrender and really understanding about how that can help us to have a wisdom about what we have control over and what we don't have control over and that which we can't gain control over, to hand that over to God to help us through those difficult times.
2: I read somewhere that uh, the mission uh, of your institute, I believe, is to help equip the church to prepare and care in a disaster-filled world. Now, I'm a pastor, and when I read that, I got really excited and really interested. Um, Very practically speaking, what are ways that you are equipping the church or the institute's equipping the church uh, because I'm so in agreement with you that the church is the one to be mobilized and go out and help people in their greatest need. What are some ways that you guys are equipping the church to do that?
4: One of the ways that we do that is that we use our research to turn it into tools and resources and training to help the local church get ready for a disaster and to be able to respond to humanitarian crises. So if you go to our website at wheaton.edu HDI, you'll find a number of free resources and manuals to help churches have how to prepare, as well as tip sheets on things like disaster spiritual emotional care. Mm. You can also visit my website, jamieayton.com, where you'll find a number of articles that I've written for different magazines and op-eds that really kind of breaks that research down in real tangible ways of how to help. And then lastly, last August, we launched a new master's program in humanitarian and disaster leadership. So that's another way that we work to equip the church.
2: You have know, always heard as a pastor that there are ways that the church, while being well-meaning, enters into these kind of, you know, whether it be something like Katrina or personal storms people are having, and where the church can actually be more hurtful than helpful. Uh, is that something that is true? And if so, what are some of those things that the church should avoid doing?
4: One of the things I often encourage churches to make sure that they avoid is being an SUV. SUV. And by that, I mean a spontaneous, unaffiliated volunteer Mm. of jumping in in ways that could potentially cause chaos. So it's always helpful to think about who's most vulnerable in my community and to start helping with them and also see are there ways that I can work and partner with the organized response after the disaster, that overall the church has a relationship like no other group does, that you Mm. know who are in need of your help and already have an established relationship. So really work through those community ties.
2: And again, as we said, Jamie just released a book called A Walking Disaster. Uh, Jamie, my last question for you is this. What do you hope people are going to take away from reading your book? If they order your book, they get through it, uh, they read it. Uh, what, what, do you, what are you hoping for the takeaway for individuals and for the church?
4: You know, what I really hope that people will take away from the book is to remember that they're not alone in their suffering, mm. that there's others who are also going through similar experiences, and that ultimately God can redeem our pain, be it in this life or the next.
2: Well, that's a great call. Jamie, I'm, I'm really appreciative of your time here with us today. Again, uh, Jamie Aiton wrote the book called A Walking Disaster, uh, chronicling his own journey through uh, Hurricane Katrina and then stage four cancer and also his academic work. So, Jamie, we're prayerful that this book will be a great tool for the church, and uh, we are grateful that you joined us today on The Common Good. Thanks. Enjoy the snow today. Thanks so much. Take care. Have a great day. Uh, Interestingly, uh, off of what Jamie talked about there, we are going to, when we come back, coming up next after the break, we're going to talk about uh, what we preached yesterday. And as I've been telling you, and Ian as well, we're going through the Explore God Chicago uh, initiative with 800, 900 other churches. Uh, And question number three yesterday had to do with exactly what Jamie just talked about how can there be a good God? In the midst of all the pain and suffering, whether that pain and suffering is Hurricane Katrina or whether that pain and suffering is stage four cancer uh, or anything in between. So coming up next on The Common Good, we're going to talk about uh, the sermons we preached yesterday about pain and suffering. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. I am normally joined by my friend Ian Simpkins. Ian is the teaching pastor uh, at the Yellow Box Community Christian Church uh, in Naperville, Illinois. But as we've been saying, Ian and his wife Katie welcomed a new baby boy last week, their second child and so Ian's taking some time to get acclimated, rest, get the, have some family time. So uh, excited to have Ian back, but excited for them to be uh, just enjoying some family time. It's tough to enjoy family time this time of year, though. Man, it's cold out there today. I got some shoveling in already and a lot more snow than I thought, but my kids were off of school. Uh, they were super excited about that, and uh, they kind of laughed at me as I had to head off to work, but uh, who will be laughing when they have to do, when they have to make this day up in the summertime? So, well, every Monday, one thing Ian and I like to do is to say, "What did we preach last yesterday?" As pastors, uh, you pre- you spend all week preparing to talk to your congregation, and then Sunday comes, Sunday goes, uh, and then it's on to the next one. But we want to reflect back a little bit. In uh, both Ian and I's churches, are doing something right now with a lot of other churches in Chicago called Explore God Chicago. And what Explore God Chicago is is like 900 plus churches across the Chicagoland area uh, are preaching the same things uh, and also tackling the same seven questions uh, from January and through the end of February. Also, discussion groups going on. I know that at our church on Thursday nights we've been having a discussion group, and where people can just come and they can ask questions. It's not another preaching time. In fact. We had one gentleman who came, and he's not a believer, or he's just very young in the faith, and he looked at me and said, do I have to listen to you talk for a while, or do I get to ask questions? <laughs> we said, no, no, uh, you're going to ask questions, because questions are such an important part of our faith, and the, the premise of Explore God is that we all have these questions. We all wonder, no matter how long you've been in the faith, we've all got re- things we wrestle with. And yesterday, uh, if you're not a part of one of these churches and aren't aware of the question that was tackled, we are tackling One of the questions that I think is the hardest, and in fact, let me quote Tim Keller. Tim Keller in his book, Reason for God, says, For many people, it is not the exclusivity of Christianity that poses the biggest problem. It is the presence of evil and suffering in the world. Basically, we tackled yesterday, how can you say that there's a good God with so much evil and pain and suffering in the world? And as I thought about that question this week, and as I wrestled with it, uh, what I came to believe is that it's not even for most people this existential problem of evil, but it is instead the problem of evil in my life. It's not that there's suffering across the world. It's when I suffer and have to wrestle with where's God in the midst of this, where this becomes real and where this becomes a hurdle. And so... Kind of more on the theory side, the way we can answer this question is, one, with the fall. Uh, the evil and suffering did not exist before uh, the fall in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. But that when they fell and sin entered into the world, there now was a brokenness that we all feel day after day after day. Sin, brokenness, pain, suffering, evil entered into the world at that moment, and we're still feeling the repercussions of it. Uh, but then secondly, and another important point, is that the Bible never promises us that we won't suffer. In fact, it says that you will suffer. Jesus says in John chapter 16, he says, in this world you will have trials, you will have problems, you will have pain. And this is a message over and over and over again. In fact, if your theology does not have space in it for pain and suffering, then you have a non-biblical theology. And any of these theologies that say if you just have more faith, then God will bless you more and he will take away all your pain, you don't have to look any further than the early church to know that that is not true. But again, this is not an intellectual argument as to where is God in the midst of pain, but rather it's a very personal question of where is God in the midst of my pain? What about when I'm struggling? Where is he? And so I want to just share what I shared with our church yesterday. Where can we find comfort in the midst of our pain? And the first is this. Jesus suffered. He suffered brutally, culminating with his death on the cross, even though Jesus is the one person in the history of man who did not deserve to suffer. Christianity, in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is a religion that serves a suffering God. So contemplate that, that the great Christian answer to suffering and pain is that we serve a God who has himself suffered unjustly. But not only has he suffered, Jesus promises to be present in our suffering. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. Psalm 23 says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Psalm thirty four eighteen says, God is close to the brokenhearted. And that means that in our pain, we can turn to him. But ultimately, there is one answer to the why doesn't God do something about it question. And the answer is that he already has. See, as we discuss the problem of evil and suffering, we can try to explain it with all sorts of philosophies. But the suffering is primarily understood by the cross. The good news is that he has already done something, that at the cross and at the empty tomb, Jesus has defeated sin and death for all time. And so we're in the midst of the already, not yet. We are still struggling here on this earth. But no matter how great the struggle or how debilitating the illness, this world is not the end. And therefore, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 can say, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, We fix our gaze on things that are coming. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Revelation 21 says there's coming a day that our ultimate eternal home will be a place where there is no more tears, no more pain, no more crying, no more struggle, no more death. So are all of our problems going to go away when we follow Jesus? Absolutely not. But does it give us a perspective? Absolutely that says that this is not our ultimate reality, but that instead God has done something about it in sending Jesus to ultimately take away, uh, to, to bring forgiveness of sin and to defeat sin and death. Paul writes to the Corinthians that sin, where O death is your victory, where O death is your sting, uh, the sting of death is the law, uh, but praise be to God, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote that they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. Friends, we can look at the cross, regardless of what we are going through, and proclaim our God is present, our God is powerful, and our God is good. If you're going through struggles today, uh, the problem of pain does not eliminate God. It instead points us to a perspective that says, Jesus suffered, Jesus is present in my life to bring comfort and peace, and that we have an eternal home with him where none of this will be our reality. That is the good news that we love to proclaim here on The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm, uh, usually joined by Ian Simpkins, but I'm here by myself today. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. to the Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, I'm the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Usually at this time, I'm joined by Ian Simpkins. Ian is the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box at Community Christian Church, but Ian is home right now, enjoying another day with a newborn. So him and his wife, Katie, had their second child this week, and we are super excited for Ian. Uh, he'll be back later this week, but right now, uh, I'm going to roll with this myself uh we are really excited to be joined on the phone right now by Mark Job. Mark is the lead and founding pastor of New Life Community Church in the city of Chicago. Uh, but also, as of January 2nd, Mark also became the 10th president uh, of Moody Bible Institute. So, Mark, with all that you have going on, thank you for taking time to join us today.
5: Absolutely. My life is not nearly as busy as Eon with the newborn <laughs> baby there and um, I'm super happy for him, high-fiving him, but really glad that I'm not at that stage
2: of life. I couldn't agree more. I'm. Uh, we were joking with Ian last week before they had the baby, like, man, we're super excited for you and really excited that it's not us. <laughs> <And> so also <laughs> past that stage. Um, well, Mark, we're glad that you joined us. As we said, you're wearing lots of hats these days. The, the newest one, uh, just having been uh, taken over as the 10th president of Moody Bible Institute. So for the sake of our listeners, uh, how did this come about? How did you go from uh, being a pastor to now being a pastor and a president of this, uh, of this important college?
5: Well, Brian, I'm a graduate from Moody. Moody had a role in actually bringing me to Chicago. In fact, it was radio. Um, interestingly enough, someone would record cassette tapes in front of a radio, uh, Moody Radio Programming, mm. and sent them to Spain. you remember things called cassette tapes, I Ryan? Do. I do. I, yeah. I
2: totally found one the other day and was showing it to my kids, and it was a, another <laughs> funny story for another day.
5: And so they would uh, send them there, and I got a hold of those cassette tapes, and I had never been to Moody. I didn't know anybody that had gone to Moody. But as um, as a 17-year-old who had just recently given his life to Christ, I wanted to come and study at least a year of Bible to this school that was teaching the Word so well. Mm. So Moody got me to Chicago, and, you know, it was through Moody coming to study in Chicago that I ended up staying and planting churches. So I've always had Moody in high regard, but never viewed myself as someone that would want to lead a school. But in June, I was approached and asked by Moody and... My wife and I felt at least we should uh, pray about it, and so we were reluctant and very, very much not convinced it was what we should do, but we entered into a season of fasting and prayer. Mm. Since that God was saying this to us, I'll give you clarity in the process. Mm. So it was about a four-month process of praying, fasting, getting counsel, uh, just kind of examining our hearts to see is this really a good fit for what we want to do. And by the time the search process was done, both Dee and I were convinced about it. The leadership at the church was affirming it. And so three weeks ago, we stepped into the 10th presidency of the Moody Bible Institute.
2: And now being the 10th president, before talking about what are your dreams for the college, what are some of the challenges that might be facing, just kind of looking ahead, Do you have to just pinch yourself and just go, man, there's only been 10 people. I'm the the 10th person who's led this historic institution. Do you look up at pictures of D.L. Moody and all this stuff and just kind of pinch yourself and go, how did I get to this spot in my life?
5: You know, when it really hit me on the first day, January 2nd, I wanted the president that was uh, serving when I was a student to actually pray over me, Mm. uh, Dr. George Sweeting. Uh, he's 94 years old, wow. and just a phenomenal man, just a great ministry, an evangelist at heart, and I really respected him. Well, he agreed to do so. Because of health issues, he wasn't able to be there in person, but uh, I knelt in front of the entire staff that was there, and Dr. Sweeting's voice came over the phone, and uh, he just prayed over me, prayed that the mantle of authority would come on mm-hmm. my life, and that was um a, a powerful symbolic moment where I felt this mantle this weight of responsibility yeah. but also this privilege coming on my shoulders from this senior godly uh, 94-year-old man. So that that's when it really struck
2: yeah. me. Yeah. And now as you're looking forward, what are you uh, personally what what excites you about this role and what excites you about uh, you know what could be coming in the near future and down the road?
5: Brian I've spent a lot of time Uh, in Chicago and other places, raising leaders, coaching pastors, planting churches. Mm -hmm. And one of the ongoing bottlenecks of church planting, multiplication, I think if you talk to any leader that's been involved for any season of time, they'll always tell you it's a leadership pipeline. Mm -hmm. Uh, They'll say the greatest challenge, really, by far, is getting the right leaders, training the right leaders, releasing the right leaders. Um, I mean, pretty much anybody you talk to would would say that. And so as I thought of Chicago, as I thought of other parts of the world, as I thought of church planting in general and disciple-making in general, I thought, you know, I want to – this gives me an opportunity to actually uh, spend some time shaping, molding, Uh, a couple thousand students that feel a call of God to change the world, and why not jump in there and um, help shape them? Uh, Why not jump in there and make this a phenomenal leadership pipeline uh, to make changes for the kingdom of God, not only in Chicago, but in places around the world? So I'm throwing myself, I've never abandoned my original vision, of church planting in urban cities in Chicago and around the world, but I'm just uh, tackling the issue from an, a, a bit of a different angle now.
2: Yeah, it sounds like you're viewing your role as president uh, less administrative and more pastoral. Is that fair to say?
5: Yeah, I bring a pastoral heart to it. And I've always been more uh, uh, an evangelist at heart, really. And so I bring a pastoral heart with uh, evangelistic emphasis, and I think it fits really well We're with Moody, Moody's history founded by this iconic, trailblazing, fiery shoe salesman (laughs) who never was ordained but became Mr. Moody and did some extraordinary things in his generation, but had a passion to lead people for Christ. And so I feel privileged to be able to try to take that legacy and kind of continue to fan it into Moody and his students.
2: And what are, you know, we talked about what excites you about it. What are some of the challenges that you think you'll either face personally, trying to get up the speed, or maybe facing the college coming up in the months and the years ahead?
5: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of challenges, um, not only for Moody, but Christian schools across the nation. Yeah. I think that um, I'm not a higher education. I have a doctorate, so I've I have, I've done my studies, but higher higher education is not the world that I play in. And, uh, so I'm learning, I'm a high learning curve here. Mm. Uh, but at, 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 its heart, really, um, I don't think Moody was looking for a, a teacher. They were looking for a leader and leadership evangelism, mobilization and understanding the challenge of our generation. I think that that is the world that I play in yeah. and that's the world. Th- that's the role that I'm, I'm staying in. Um, but, uh, I think like every school around the country, I mean, we're, we're dealing with increasing secularization, mm-hmm. we're dealing with uh, a greater number of people that have less of a biblical knowledge. Um, we, we are facing a society that's a, that's less tolerant of some of the values that we hold as believers, and that affects schools, it affects churches, and it affects young leaders who are coming into the leadership pipeline. Sometimes without a great foundation compared to decades ago. Yeah.
2: Well, we are uh, blessed to be joined by Mark Job today. Mark is the lead and founding pastor of New Life Community Church and also now the 10th president of Moody Bible Institute. And coming up next, uh, we're going we're gonna to shift from talking to Mark about Moody to talking about the church and New Life Community Church and his passion for church planting. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church, usually joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is home, hopefully getting a little bit of sleep and enjoying uh, the arrival of their second child. Ian will be back with us uh, later this week. Well, we're being joined again by Mark Job. Mark is the lead and founding pastor of New Life Community Church in the city of Chicago. And uh, we spent the last couple of minutes with Mark discussing his other job now. He's just started here on January 2nd as the 10th president of Moody Bible Institute. And Mark, uh, we're grateful that you're still uh, joining us. And here's my question for you. Uh, being the president of Moody Bible Institute feels even like an overwhelming job to me. Uh, are you still going to pastor uh, New Life Community Church?
5: <laughs> you know, that was a big issue, Brian. I have to be honest. Yeah. As we talked to the board, uh, if I had to decide between being the president of Moody or having to step out of the pastorate, that would have been tough, and it could have been a deal breaker for me. Mm. But I told the board this: you know, I'm I'm not a pastor by vocation; I'm a pastor by calling. Yes. And so, even though I take on the full time job of president, I'm still committed to the local church. I'll still be preaching. I said, you'll have a better president if I can keep my hands involved in ministry, if I can um, put my arm around a tatted-up gangbanger mm. on the southwest side of Chicago and lead him to Christ, or sit across the table from a, with the a CEO that's having trouble in the, their marriage and pray over them and pray for them. And so the board said, well, it's a little bit unusual, <laughs> but... Um, they agreed. They said, okay, if you have the bandwidth and capacity to do so. So I'm volunteering now, not in an employed capacity, but I'm volunteering as senior pastor of New Life Community Church. So I still preach, and I still work with the leadership team. Um, I have a super strong passion for church planting and evangelism, and so I feel like I'm I'm a better Better leader at Moody as I stay engaged in the local church.
2: You, you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit, and your passion for the local church comes out all the time. And people may not know this, but New Life has you know over twenty locations throughout the Chicagoland area. There's, it, it's it's pretty massive. There's a lot going on. Um, so, how does that work? Right? We always hear about campuses and churches and this and that. To the person driving in their car right now who only knows of their home church, uh, how structurally does that even work, that there's all these different locations? Um, what's their autonomy versus, like, how much say do you have in what goes on? Uh, paint the picture of New Life for us.
5: Yeah, so, Brian, I started when New Life was just 18 people in the southwest side of Chicago. I was 21 years old, and so I've been a part of a church for, for a long time at one a few years into the church we prayed for the city of chicago and prayed an audacious prayer that god would help us to reach one percent of the city of chicago
6: mm.
5: it was that prayer that led to our strategy back then uh, terminology like multi-site wasn't even existent in the church yeah and so as we dreamed of a church that could reach that many people we thought that we wrote out a paragraph, well, it would have to be in multiple locations. It would have to be multicultural, probably multilingual, good at evangelism. It would have to raise leaders rapidly. It would have to have an engine of prayer. And uh, that's what we pursued. And so uh, New Life is now one church, but we meet at 27 different locations mm-hmm. throughout Chicago and uh, we have 44 worship services on Sunday. Uh, most of them are what I would call like uh, parish congregations, neighborhood congregations. So they're not uh, super super big. They're not video driven. Mm. Um, most of the lo- most of the new life locations are between 100 to 400 people, uh, except for our, our sort of the mother campus, which is about 1,500 people on Sunday. Uh, But we meet, there's over 7,000 people that we minister to um, every week. And um, a very diverse group of people meeting from the north side to the west side to the east side. Uh, We have uh, African American and Hispanic and young professional. Mm. And uh, depending on what neighborhood we're uh, meeting in, we have 32 pastoral couples. In fact, just last night, I was with the elders of new life, which means that every location has a group of elders, a pastor and a group of elders. So I met with about 200 of our elders yesterday for training. What an awesome time of worship and training. And um, so one church, all of our bills are paid out of one office. Mm. Uh, it helps with the economy of scales. Like we have a IT person that services all of our locations. Uh, we get together with the pastors every week on Monday, Pastors are in coaching groups, but they so they're all called New Life Community Church, and uh, but they don't look like cookie cutter churches. You go to one location, and it may be our little village location is in Spanish, mainly Mexican immigrants, a lot of energy, flag waving, a lot of just uh, that Hispanic enthusiasm, but that's going to look different than our. Lincoln Park location that would be primarily white, young professionals, or our Hammond location that's led by Garrett Horn, who's an African-American, and they would be very multicultural, or our Albany Park with Joshua Sharif, who uh, was born in Egypt, and that area is very diverse. So our locations look very different, but we have the same name, the same vision, the same strategy, the same disciple-making process.
2: So kind of in a small world, uh, to let the people out there know, uh, when me and our other pastor started Four Corners Community Church in Darien, you would frequent the Starbucks almost walking distance from our church, uh, and and you came and offered not just some advice, but you came and sat with me and Dave, our other pastor, and just kind of helped us kind of try to navigate uh, what we were going to be facing and didn't even know. Uh, So I personally got to experience your passion for church planting and your passion for Uh, equipping church planters. I'm curious where that passion comes from, uh, and is that passion still growing in your life after all these years?
5: You know, my father was converted at the age of 18, had never left the country, um, but felt like he wanted to do the most radical thing he knew how to do. And to him, it was be a missionary in the jungles of South America.
6: Hmm.
5: Well, he never got to South America, but he did get to Chile, and he would ride a horse to the hills of Chile to uh, plant basically churches in these uh, little villages with no running water, dirt wow. floors, and that you couldn't get there anyway except by horse. And uh, so I grew up in a church-planting family where my parents were both radically committed to spread the gospel. My mother is 81 and still lives in Spain. Wow. My father's buried in Spain, where we went. They planted a church, uh, multiple churches in cities that have no church at all. And so I grew up understanding, hey I grew up uh, Brian, I grew up understanding that God's strategy to reach the world is called the church.
6: Mm.
5: And we don't make up a strategy. we can't engineer a strategy. Uh, Jesus gave us a strategy, and it's called the local church. And the local church exists to make disciples yeah. in a community of faith that grounds people and multiplies throughout the world. And so I'm committed to the strategy that Jesus gave us. Hmm. And i um, passionate about planting churches. We've, in the last uh, six years, we've planted, um, uh, let's see, 13 uh, new congregations in Chicago, and then nine overseas, so we planted wow. twenty one churches in the last six years uh, with an aggressive vision to continue to plant more in the next two years as well
2: well uh, if anyone you can hear it in mark we're being joined by Mark Job again, the lead pastor of uh of New Life Community Church and the tenth president of Moody Bible Institute. Mark has a passion for uh, church planting and seeing people come to Jesus. Uh, and we are grateful for that. Well, Mark's going to continue to join us when we come back. Coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, what's his love for Chicago. We're going to talk about the city of Chicago. Uh, what is it that he loves about it? And what is it, what are his dreams and his hopes for Chicago going forward? This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. <laughs> Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out uh, enjoying uh, the growth of his family, having a second kid last week. So him, Ian, and Katie are enjoying getting used to having a second child. So we're looking forward to Ian coming back, but hope he's getting his rest. Um, but in the meantime, we have been uh, so blessed to be joined by Mark Job. Mark is the lead and founding pastor of New Life Community Church. Uh, Mark has also just recently become the 10th president of Moody Bible Institute. So, Mark, thanks. uh, You've been so generous with your time. So thank you for that.
5: Great to be with you. And by the way, I like your intro music. I'm just kind of bobbing my head to it right now.
2: There you go. There you go. It brings me more. They keep picking music that kind of brings me back to high school, college. So I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. So, Mark, we talked earlier about uh, your new role at Moody Bible Institute as the 10th president. And we talked uh, about your role as at New Life Community Church, that you're still uh, the unpaid senior pastor there and kind of setting direction for church planting. And all of this points to a love that you have for Chicago um, and just a desire for Chicago. So could you speak about your love for Chicago? What do you love about the city and where does that come from?
5: Yeah, I have to be honest with you, Brian. When I first came to Chicago, I couldn't wait to get out of Chicago. <laughs> I, I, was, I came directly from a little village in northern Spain oh, wow. with a population of 200 people. My telephone number was literally eight, and uh, unpaved streets. And so Chicago, to me, was this urban jungle. It was noisy. People were not friendly. It yeah. was cold. And I just wanted out of Chicago. I mean, I just could not wait to get out, but while I was uh, studying in college a a pastor told me they said they said you know the the nations have come to the big city, and if you can reach the cities, you can reach the nation. Well, mm. maybe you should think of planting a church in Chicago." I wanted to say, "Get the behind me, Satan!" <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to hear that at all. Yep. But it was one of those deposits that I could not shake and could not let go of. And I really wrestled through uh, with it when it looked like I was going to be starting a uh, leading a church in Chicago. I told God, "I said, God, uh, you have to give me a love for this place if you want me to really engage in it." And I feel like there was a defining moment in which. Uh, God broke my heart for the city. Mm. and instead of seeing an urban jungle, I started seeing faces, uh, faces mm. of single moms, faces of young men that had a destiny that was being robbed from them, uh, faces of uh, immigrants and um, uh, and CEOs and leaders downtown. and And it changed my perspective. And now, after thirty years in Chicago, I love this city. It's a phenomenal place with a lot of power. It's a city like almost no other in the United States of America. It's got a lot of history, a lot of power. It's been one of the most uh, segregated and um, polarized city of the United States of America, which has its challenges. Um, But nonetheless, a very influential city in our nation. Uh, The the former president came from here. The mayors of Chicago have been, uh, they have been, history makers and shakers in the history of the United States of America. Not always good either. Um, But I believe that that there's a lot of good that has come out of Chicago, and I believe that a lot of good can come out of Chicago as as well.
2: As you look at the landscape of Chicago, um, obviously it gives a lot of bad press, a lot of stuff, but what do you see as the major issues uh, facing the city as a whole?
5: Well, one of the biggest issues currently is um, youth on youth violence mm. and uh, we have been in the news for the last couple of years and it, it's it's the issue because we have had just these incredibly high homicide rates in certain neighborhoods of chicago a couple of years ago 700 homicides mm. but it ranges between 500 usually to 700 which is just absolutely unacceptable yeah. a lot more violent than places like new york but it's Segregated to certain neighborhoods. By the way, Brian, we've chosen to work directly on that issue as a church and have started something that we call New Life Centers, directly related to at risk youth in the city of Chicago. So we work closely with the mayor's office, with uh, probation officers, with mentoring programs. Uh, we have 40 people on staff right now uh, through the church, started by the church, New Life Centers that work with gang-involved at-risk youth and doing a phenomenal job, Uh, first responders to a shooting, um, really proud of the team, have won from Washington the most innovative mentoring in the United States of America, multiple awards in mentoring, and all driven by faith-based, Jesus-loving people that want to curb the violence in Chicago. But it it remains a, a huge problem. And the number one problem in terms of, uh, besides the spiritual condition of Chicago, the number one problem I would say is, uh, violence that stems from broken families Mm. that exist in a lot of places across the country.
2: Yeah. Uh, are you hopeful though? Are you hopeful for the future of Chicago?
5: Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I see that out of the greatest places of darkness arises the greatest, uh, brightness and rays of light. And I'm in the city, and I work in the city, and um, I work in multiple neighborhoods around the city, and I don't have this cloud of gloom and despair hanging over my head. I have a lot of hope for this city. I see so many incredible things happen in the midst of difficult areas, um, driven by the church and uh, people that love Jesus Mm. and uh, that have rolled up their sleeves and doing phenomenal things. Uh, families turned around. And um, in the midst of a big city like Chicago, I'm, I'm super hopeful. Even at a church level, there's some cooperation initiatives like Pray Chicago has happened, Together Chicago yeah. is happening, some joint efforts among uh, churches that maybe in the past wouldn't even talked with each other, coming together to say, how can we make an impact in our city, uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and f- for the glory of God.
2: And now going full circle, you know, we started this whole time talking about how you are now leading at Moody Bible Institute. Moody has always played a very important part uh, in the fabric of Chicago, being a, um, you know, a Christian school right there in the heart of the city. Um, as you look forward, what role do you pray and hope to see Moody increasingly play uh, in the positive steps that you see the city uh, hopefully taking in the near future?
5: You know, I walked on the campus the other day, and I was walking between two buildings, one building that has just been built, the Chapman Center, and it struck me. Wow. I'm in the heart of Chicago. There's 22 acres of land in the in the, in the downtown area, and this place exists to share the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly mm. and uh in a solid theological way. What a phenomenal thing that in a city like this, in the heart of this city, this place exists where there's a couple thousand young people coming from all over the world to be trained in this place, in the heart of Chicago. And it just kind of blew my mind for a second to think, this is amazing because I live in a very secular Chicago world that a place like this exists in this. And, um, uh, you know, D.L. Moody knelt on the corner of Chicago and LaSalle and asked that God would give him that area and he had a heart for Chicago, mm. the poor, the marginalized, the outcast. Started a Sunday school that attracted a thousand uh, young kids from really poor neighborhoods, and Abraham Lincoln visited that. And um, I would like to see Moody not only, uh, bec- again, re- recapture its heart and soul for evangelism and um, making a difference in a different kind of way, I'd like to see us recapture that in, in a in a stronger way, I'd like to see students from Chicago uh, attending Moody. Uh, it's a—it's one of the best kept secrets in the backyard of mm-hmm. Chicago. I mean, this is a phenomenal school, and it really saddens my heart that there's so few students from Chicago in the school. And I want to hug every student that <laughs> is from Chicago in the school that I run into. Like, yeah, this is the heart of Chicago. So. Um, If you're listening to this broadcast and you're thinking about a school to go to and you have a heart for ministry or a heart to make a difference, I would urge you and encourage you to check out Moody in the heart of the city of Chicago. And so I I do believe, Brian, that uh, Moody plays a pivotal role. Uh, Moody uh, has always, it's a non-denominational or inter-denominational school And so uh, there is, um, it has partnerships with churches all around Chicago, and uh, as a president of Moody and as a pastor in the city of Chicago, my heart is to see Moody empower ministry leaders all across this city and Mm -hmm. beyond, and in places all across the world, and I hope that you'll see that uh, come out in some uh, more powerful ways than you have in the past. Yeah.
2: Well, Mark, we could talk to you all day, but I'm really grateful for the time you've given to us. Again, you've been listening to Mark Job, the lead pastor of New Life Community Church and the 10th president of Moody Bible Institute. Mark, enjoy the snow. Have a great day. Thanks again, my friend.
5: Thank you, Brian. God bless you.
2: You too. Well, that was Mark Jobe uh, here on uh, The Common Good. Uh, such good stuff there for us to be praying for him and to be thinking about as we think about Moody as we think about the church and the city of Chicago as a whole. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, and that whimsical music can only mean one thing. It means the show is coming to an end, uh, and we are going to do some fun stories we found on the Internet today. Uh, but before doing that, just a, another word of thanks to Mark Job for being so kind with all of his time. I uh, found that, fa- that conversation just fascinating about uh, his love for Moody and for the church and for Chicago as a whole. Um, very encouraged by that. Also, thankful for Jamie Ayton today and uh, the many others that we've had and been able to talk to today. Again, I'm Brian Fromm and uh, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out. Uh, at least for another day, celebrating the birth of their second child. So we're we are excited for them. And so I am going to go all by myself right now on the crazy things we found on the Internet today. Here's one. You ready? Certain signals that interested astronomers from Parkes Observatory in Australia for 17 years. So there were these signals that they were picking up at the observatory, and they couldn't figure them out for 17 years they finally traced them and they figured out they were coming from the observatory's microwave oven. That is crazy. (laughs) That is crazy. All right. Next one. The headline reads eating fried chicken every day is linked to early death. A new study should serve as a warning to fans of fried chicken. The delicacy is linked to an early death. A new study Uh, done on women in the United States found women who enjoyed fried chicken at least once a day had a 13% higher risk of death from any cause. And women who ate fried fish or shellfish each day saw a 7% greater cause. Researchers saw a correlation between fried food and death from heart disease but couldn't find a link between the fried food and cancer. And my question is this, is this at all a surprise to people? Like, I feel like if you were daily eating fried chicken, this is the deal you're making. Like, we're all going to die. Let's just be, let's not be too down about it. But, right, death is coming at any point. So why wouldn't you want it to be filled with fried chicken between now and then? And so, I I don't know. This is like one of those things where it's like excessive amounts of ice cream and candy will lead to bad things for you. Well, of course it will, but it tastes good. It's a choice we all make. You've all got to figure out. Do I want to live the long life or do I want to enjoy fried chicken? That is like, that sums up the choices we all face in life, right? Fried chicken or long life, you choose. Uh, but according to this study, you can't have them both. All right, next story. Out of Michigan, this is Ian's home state. Uh, we like to poke some fun at Michigan, but out of Michigan, suspect steals, then returns car, grabs a breakfast burrito in between. A home invasion in Lincoln Park, Michigan, resulted in a vehicle being returned five hours after it was stolen. So this girl comes out. She finds that her, uh, uh, that her car is stolen at 2.30 in the morning because the family dog starts barking. This guy jumps in the SUV, speeds away, while being chased uh, by the husband in the house. About five hours later, after he had gotten away, the car reappeared. Someone parked the Ford Explorer across the street from their home, around 7.30 a.m., leaving the key and evidence of a craving inside because at 5.30 a.m., the suspect apparently went to a McDonald's and got a breakfast burrito. Hey, I like breakfast burritos. I think if I had stolen the car, I probably would have taken it to McDonald's to get an Egg McMuffin. Um, but, hey, when the breakfast burrito calls, it calls And so at least he returned it. What only would have been nicer if he left a hash brown or maybe another breakfast burrito in the front seat. Um, But again, people do crazy things. He steals a car, gets a breakfast burrito, returns the car. Out of New York, New York Police Department searches for laundry room change machine bandits targeting Brooklyn apartments. Police are searching for two suspects in connection to a string of robberies in Brooklyn where the pair allegedly targeted laundry room change machines and get this made off with thousands of dollars. How many thousands of those dollars are just in quarters and dimes Uh, and some bills? And this is pretty brazen, but I don't know. People sitting around going, what should we do with our crime spree? I don't know. Let's get laundry change machines. Maybe it's smart because maybe it's unexpected. Uh, But uh, laundry change machines are now the target in Brooklyn. Last one out of Australia. Vegan bride draws the line with wedding invites. No murderers. That seems a little bit. Uh, this seems a little bit excessive. She's a vegan, and so she didn't want anybody at her wedding, uh, who would eat meat, and she just didn't invite them to the wedding. Uh, hey, you know what? You can. Uh, you can have your preferences, uh, but that seems a little extreme. Her family members are quoted as saying, "Uh, we don't appreciate being called murderers." and not being invited to the wedding. But apparently this is the line she wanted to draw and draw it. She did. She said, you can't come to the wedding if you eat meat. Uh, I've got some questions for the husband there, uh, but I don't think we'll have that opportunity. Well, we like to just end with some fun, just some craziness uh, and just some good times. But again, uh, we've really enjoyed having you with us today on the common good. I'm Brian Fromm, lead pastor of four corners community church. We're looking forward to having Ian Simpkins join us again Hopefully with all sorts of crazy things he has found on the Internet and just stories of new fatherhood. But as I think about what we learned today, um, it was interesting to have Jamie Aiton on today to talk about his book about suffering and his book about humanitarian uh, crisis and all that he's been doing after having cancer. And then to talk about the fact that many of us in Explore God yesterday preached about suffering. This is a big deal. Suffering is a big deal. But it doesn't need to be one that pushes us away from God. It, in fact, is one that speaks to our need of God and our thankfulness that Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, defeating sin and death for all time so that pain and suffering, sin and brokenness are not part of our eternal reality. For that, we can be thankful. Well, again, my name is Brian Fromm. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.